0: Hi, I'm Ryan Jennings and this is a Kiwi Original. Today on the show I'm joined by Phil Jones who has been hand making cajon box drums from his workshop in Hastings since 2009. These are a super cool bit of kit and in the chat we discuss the hand making process but also what inspires Phil to make this uniquely Peruvian instrument in New Zealand. People love the sound of Phil's drums. They've been used by bands across New Zealand and even in the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. But for me personally, I like bringing them out after the barbecue when the fire's on and you've got your friends around and you're having a sing along and you can have a tap along. It adds something to that party and that's probably the reason you should listen to this and maybe even get one for your home. So let's take a listen. What is the instrument we're talking about? Because this isn't something that's kind of easily understood like a guitar Mm. is, um, unless you're in the music scene. So what are the the instruments?
1: So this instrument I've been building for the last 12 years now is called a cajon. It's a box drum. It's a a drum that uh, many people would have seen uh, on stage but maybe they didn't realize how much sound was really coming from it or how it really worked and what it was called. And, uh, so basically it's a box. Uh, the player will be sitting on it and bending down and hitting it, maybe spinning it around, hitting other parts. And it sounds a bit like a drum kit. It's like a drum kit in a box. Uh, it's a traditional Peruvian instrument actually from South America and it's been modified over the years uh, by, by uh, flamenco uh, musicians and instrument makers and uh, I build them here in New Zealand and I've modified them in my own way and worked out how I like to make them and how I like them to sound and uh, yeah I think uh, they're very versatile, very interesting and uh, a good way to get into music especially if you love Tapping on things, tapping on your legs, tapping on the table, yeah, you can transfer that onto this instrument quite easily.
0: I like what you said there with it being a, a drum in a box, because the a drum kit is a whole lot to shift between bars, clubs or even homes, whereas you know, one of these you could take with you to, mm. you know, a friend's house and, and just jam with it. Yeah. Is that one of the, the uses or is it more for the professional?
1: Oh no! It's for it's for everyone, really, and that's how I've I've really marketed this instrument. I'm a musician myself. I wanted to build a really, really good version of this instrument. I didn't want to to to, to compromise, even though I knew that the the market here didn't didn't really know what this instrument was. I I wanted to feel like I was making a really, really good cajon, and. Uh, it doesn't matter to me whether someone is buying it that is this is their first instrument or whether they know exactly what a cajon is and they've owned five of them and now they want a better one. You know, for me that's actually the same product for me. And I've managed to squish all that into one product, which I think is, it makes me really happy to do that. So when someone's buying uh, my, my basic version, it's, it's actually the same sounds, the same drum almost the same materials as my top model and so yeah like when you say drum kit in a box a drum kit uh, has lots of different components it's quite large it takes up a lot of space it makes a lot of noise people are living in smaller and smaller uh, apartments and and houses and uh, they also don't want to have that that cost of like you know if I buy this for my um, for my child or for for my hobby uh, am I even going to like this and uh, is it going to be too loud and, and you know uh, so so I, I, I sell a lot of these to people who are interested in drumming but are a bit afraid to buy a whole drum kit.
0: I can see why that would be um, my... Parents were uh, good enough to me to uh, buy me part of a drum kit when I wanted one as a teenager. And then I sold it about 18 months later and uh, actually wanted one again. And they said, no, we, we are not, not going to get you another one. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until uh, I was at a friend's Christmas do um, where I saw one of these cajons. Um, and played on one and and we were all sitting out on a, a deck and the, the sun's going down We didn't have to go to a jam room or anything. There was someone on a guitar um, Someone leading the singing of the group and then the cajons kept the beat and we were all just still round the table mm. um, yep. Have you is that something that um, would be quite common?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I, I tell that to people who are I meet at markets and I can see they really enjoy it and, I, and, and they think, they, they start trying to justify it out loud I? And, the, and then uh, their partner will say something like, you know, when we have a barbecue and you know it's out on the deck and someone's sitting on it and you know Bob's got the guitar and, and Sandra wants to sing a song and you know it's just there and actually you, you're already sitting on it because it's a seat, you know. So it's in the corner of the lounge it's not away in the cupboard, it's already out there on the deck because um, you've got your mates over for a barbecue, you know what I mean? It's, it's good to have instruments out and ready to go. And, it, and like you said, it's not too loud, so it's not like, oh, the band's starting, everyone should be quiet and watch, or, oh, the band's too loud, can you guys go to the band room or something like that. It's, it's a great instrument to have at home, just in the corner, ready to go.
0: I found it—it it added to the ambience without disrupting it and shifting it, and going inside or, or having to go and do music. It just became part of yeah. what we were up to on that day. Yeah. Um, before you mentioned that this was a, the Peruvians came up with this to start with. Um, what are the, the touches that Phil and Tuki Tuki instruments have added and evolved from the, the stock standard Peruvian model?
1: Yeah, so the Peruvian style doesn't have a snare inside it, so it doesn't have that the buzziness which on a drum kit would be this one here, the bish sound. So uh, the Peruvian style uh, has more of a clackety-clack and a, and a bass and uh, so my drums have a snare in them. That's not necessarily something that I invented but it's something I worked out how to do. a, a guitar-stringed adjustable snare. Uh, and what I have added is a second side. So what you can do is spin the drum around and play the opposite side. And that has some wooden bongo sections. And how I came about that is, I, someone asked me to make a, a kid's drum, a kid's cajon. And uh, I didn't just want to shrink a a large-sized cajon because I knew that all the bass would have gone, it would have been quite a compromised instrument. I wanted to make it more interesting. So I, I knew that if I put the sound hole on the side rather than the back and I made another playable surface, then rather than just having a small compromised drum with no bass, you've got Uh, a small instrument with two different sides you can play. And so it's got bongos on one side and then snare on the other. And then I changed my larger model to be the same. So now I only make these double-sided cajon drums, which I haven't really seen other companies do. And that's the thing that really sells my instruments, I think, because they may have seen a cajon and they think, oh, that, that might you know, I'm not quite sure how I would use that and then I show them the other side and then suddenly they're like, oh, if I didn't use that side I'll use the other one. If someone's playing a drum kit I can just play the bongos, you know what I mean? So it, it, it flicks something in their head that goes, oh, this has got lots of options. This is a couple of drums in one, you know, so. That's
0: a good point because the just tapping along doesn't give you the, the timbre, that tone, whereas the bongos Gives you something to, to get into with not just keeping the beat but playing a tune.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So soloing over the top, you don't have to be holding the rhythm down. Someone else might be doing that already. And you can spin it around and play sort of solos or, you know, some sort of syncopated rhythm over the top. And yeah, it has a bit of a, a, a melody to it too high, medium, low.
0: I was reading on your website, there was a um, customer review, and they said that. With this instrument, I have capability of producing an exceptional array of colours that can project above a symphony orchestra. Can it be used at that level?
1: So uh, the the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra percussion team got in touch with me because they were doing an opera which was written by a Spanish Spanish composer um, that had this cajon part. In the score, and they said, well, "We need to get hold of a cajon." And they found me and said, "Can you please make us some customized cajon drums?" And so I, I made them a cajon, these double-sided cajon, uh, and I put their logo on the side of it. And um, I went to go and see the the performance, and he was right because in the Michael Fowler Center, the the acoustics were so good, and they had to. That this cajon didn't need any micing up or anything and the, the orchestra was I don't know 100 people or so you know. Wow. And it was great to see something that I'd made on the stage with such amazing musicians and I could hear it yeah and it was in the back row behind all of the other instruments. So.
0: That's super cool. Mm-hmm. What um, got you into starting this as a business from purely a a musical pleasure back in 2009?
1: It really just grew organically. I, I was just doing what made me feel good at the time, honestly. I I was having a bit of a hard time in life, and I, was, I just uh, needed to get up every day and decide uh, what would get me out of bed, what would get me motivated. And not to think, where is this going, you know, because then my brain might start saying, "Wow, this is a waste of time," you know. So I just was like, "I need to get to my grandfather's workshop and I need to build some instruments." You know, I, I was making flutes, I was making I was making other things, and I I wanted to make a guitar. Proved to be a, a, far too difficult for me, <laughs> so I started making these drums, and initially they were not very good. So that uh, challenged me to make a better one and uh, I just keep making them and they kept stacking up in the corner they weren't going anywhere (laughs) I was I don't even know I was telling many people that I was doing it Uh, but just the challenge of making an instrument sing that's the thing because I'm a musician I know when an instrument is is really shining and that was what I was seeking for and so I just had to keep going until I got somewhere near that, you
0: know. So initially it was for your own benefit, your own mental health and Mm. to feel like you were creating something or doing something that Mm. at least made the most of that one day and then over time as these boxes are stacking up you're getting better and better at the making process around the cajon but also the the other instruments that you're, you're making. At what point did someone say hey Phil can I give you some money and and buy one of these off you? Mm.
1: Yeah well that that happened probably about six months to a year after I made the first drum so I'd probably made about I mean 50 or 100 prototypes and then pulled them apart and made more and I'd probably made about I probably finished about yeah 15 or 20 completed drums and I'd given them away or like whatever to family and friends and one of my friends said can you make me a a particularly nice one and you know I'll pay you a little bit of money and uh, that was that was a big change for me because I guess I'm it, it, it sort of triggered that perfectionist side so I someone's wanting to pay me money, and I feel responsible now for producing something uh, valuable. What if it falls apart, what if it, you know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's almost like that, um, it's almost like, uh, yeah, I need to guarantee it. I didn't, I didn't have, I don't think I had my business name at that time, or even the symbol that I, you know, my logo, but uh, yeah, I started selling them to friends, and then another friend I had said, "Put them on TradeMe, and you should charge this much." And you know that that was a big challenge to to start charging people, and then start charging people I didn't even know. Yeah, and then I realised that I'm, I've kind of got a little business going on here.
0: The New Zealand-made Kiwi trademark is relied upon by over 1,500 New Zealand businesses to gain a market origin advantage in the markets they operate, both domestically and internationally. Check to see if the good service or software that you make is eligible at buynz.org.nz. Was that barrier a barrier of you feeling like you were on the hook then? If, if someone gave you money, and this didn't perform the way they wanted, uh, mm. that that you would have to you know give them their money back, or more was it that you'd be more concerned that it wasn't as perfect as you had hoped it could become?
1: Yeah, it was a mixture really because I knew that I could make them better. In fact, I've I've known that for. I still know that, you know what I mean? That's a, that's one of the things that drives me. I will I will make it and I'll be like, oh it could it can be it can be brighter, it can be cleaner, it can be whatever, you know. And uh, especially in those early years, I knew what I was aiming for. Um, and people uh, and, and also that you yeah, that responsibility of is the customer gonna be happy with it? Are they and people my friends would always tell me like they don't know what you're aiming for, you know, so just be confident in what you've made so far, you know, put a fair price on it. And and they were right, like, every customer was happy with what they got. And no one was saying, hey, this one doesn't sound professional enough or something, you know. It was just, it was it was me that had the, the I was building this sort of connoisseur knowledge of this instrument and customers didn't really, have that ability of uh, that sort of fussiness that I had, you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Which is always that balancing act between uh, pushing forward and making something even better and uh, understanding what's enough for the, for the use of your customers. Uh, what were the reviews like on Trade Me of those first few?
1: Oh, I can't really remember. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of unhappy customers. If I had an unhappy customer that would it would feel <laughs> quite personal, you know, because I, I felt like, hey, I'd, I didn't want to go into business like this. I was just doing my hobby. You know, that's how it felt when I would get something like that. Um, but, you know, people were really, really stoked to have discovered this instrument, this this box drum that can be played in so many different different situations, you know, uh, so that encouraged me to just keep making them really, and keep learning. And the business was funding my research to make them better. So my business was always like, um, almost like uh, making my business my learning centre, like my re- funding my own individual research into my, my interest you know.
0: And then when did you put the the Tuki Tuki instrument's name and and wrap around it?
1: Yeah I think what happened there was um, when one of my friends said look you've got to get a business card you know (laughs) and then I and then I realized to have a business card I have to have a logo and a name and like a font and all this kind of stuff Um, and and she said well You've already got that. And I realised that I'd been cutting this shape in the side of the drums ever since uh, the first, probably the third or fourth drum. And it was because I I know I needed a sound hole, but it doesn't need to be that shape. It could be a square, it could be a thumbs up, it could be whatever. It just needs to be about this size because of the acoustics of the instrument. So I started playing with oh let's I'll put a wave in the middle of the circle, you know, cut it with the jigsaw, and then I thought oh I'm not really a (laughs) surfer, so I'll put like a koru or something in there, and I did that, and it looked a bit like a dinosaur head, like this. (laughs) I was like that looks silly, so so then I inverted it, so that the hole was the koru, not not a hole around the koru, but the koru was the hole, and then. because of the tools I was using, I needed to give it a, a sort of a rounded edge in one of the corners. I couldn't make a right angle with a router. So I had to continue this, this side here because of the tool and make it uh, be able to be cut in, in one sweep. So that's how that shape came about. and I, I, I'm glad that I had come up with a logo that way. Rather than sitting down, scratching my head, going, "Okay, so maybe it should be a drum," with like, you know, someone, or someone's hand on the drum, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I came up with that process organically. Just I need a, I need a sound hole. I've got this tool. What sort of shape can I cut with this tool?
0: I think it's that, um, that word organic, and uh, it's enabled you to iterate on something that truly is embedded with the product the cajon uh, in that it's something that actually serves a purpose like without getting that whole right mm. it there's no sound or there yeah. is an inferior sound which speaks to the the quality of what you're producing mm. and a logo is is just a logo whereas the brand should speak to a deeper meaning and what you just explained there is why you don't have a logo you have a brand.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, I love it when I, yeah, I love it how it serves a purpose. It's a, it it needs a hole, the hole is a shape. Why can't that shape be my shape? You know, uh, you know that feels like efficiency to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you then got the logo. It's the what the mid twenty tens around the, that time or early 2012, uh, 2013? Yeah, so the
1: the business card incident <laughs> probably was about uh, two thousand. 11 or 12 or so, yeah.
0: So, you're selling the cajons, you've got a couple of retailers then set up. When did you start thinking maybe it's time to add a product to the cajons and sell more than one?
1: Uh, so, yeah, I had I had my my main cajon design, which was the large the large one. Somebody asked me, when you make a small one, that was quite difficult because I knew that I couldn't that the economics of it had to work different because I'm still using the same materials I just I'm making a smaller one charging less how do I make this design by like, economic for everybody for the person who's buying it for me making it so designing that that smaller version was quite interesting and that actually changed as I said the other designs as well because of what I found and then I decided that uh, I always wanted to, as I said, make a guitar. That's how, that was like my my dream when I started making instruments again. Uh, and that I decided, well, oh, that's way too hard. And so more recently I've decided to, to learn how to make other types of instruments. Uh, so I've built a, a few stringed instruments. I, I build some sort of drone harp things for music therapy Wow there's sort of uh, a box uh, that you can have on your lap or you can rest it on the ground or actually on top of somebody who's lying down and you can uh, stroke these strings and they all they sort of resonate this box and, and the person who's, uh, who's lying down the, the vibrations will go right through them ah. And so this is a music therapy instrument that, uh, I've been commissioned to make um, by a few different music therapists and sound, sound therapists. Um, so that's interesting, that's me learning uh, more about uh, yeah, stringed instruments, uh, how to make something lightweight but still very strong, So, learning a lot about solid wood because in the cajon you use a lot of plywood. Uh, I also build um, marimbas which are kind of like large Xylophone.
0: Oh, the tapping ones. Yeah,
1: so you've got keys, wooden keys, uh, and there's a big sort of resonating chamber, and uh, long keys all the way down to short, and these are, these are made of wood. And you have your beaters. And these are used in schools quite a lot, music education. Um, so you can get three kids along this, this one instrument and they'll all be playing a part. Someone down here will be playing dun, 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 dun. person in the middle will be going Someone in the top's going Whatever. And all together they have these marimba bands and schools around New Zealand.
0: So these new instruments are actually enabling you to, to move into different areas away from purely entertainment into... Music therapy, the, the therapeutics, the healing side of, of music, and the education side around you know, how to play musical instruments for kids. Um, does that then open up new audiences um, for you to f- sell those products into?
1: Yeah, it does. Um, I've found that I'm just I'm just one person, and I can't do all these things, so. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of at the point where, I guess I'm, i I have to decide where to put my energy. I can't. I can't do it all. You know mm. what I mean? Um, I've always been in touch with with all these different these different uh, customer types, like the the music therapy crowd. I've been in touch with for quite a long time. They were also interested in my Cajon drums way back in the day because, um. Because you know the, it's portable, they go to different places in, with their jobs. Um, the, it's quite easy to play. You're using your hands, and for a lot of music therapy um, uh, clients, they're, they're learning how to use their body again. Uh, I mean, this music therapy uh, spans a lot of different um, client, a lot of different client types, but some of them are, are learning just how to use their body. Uh, perhaps how to use how to use their hand to cross the midline and hit or things like that coordination. Um, that's just that's just one thing. But I mean other other types of you know I often meet people who are uh, deaf and they they're sitting on top of this drum, so they don't have to hear it. They can feel it. So an instrument's vibrating all the time. So. If you're sitting on the drum and there aren't many drums that you sit on, and you're hitting it, you actually you're feeling the rhythm as well. So a lot of uh, deaf people who sit on the drum are having a great time, you know, and they're they're in time. And I just I just uh, I meet them at markets or festivals, and I I just show them look uh, if you hit it here, it sounds a bit different to here. And they're like oh cool yeah, and it feels different too, you know. Uh, So I've always been in touch with that music therapy crowd for various reasons, and they just approached me and said, well, you make these, could you also make these? And I just sort of jumped at the chance to learn something new, Um, yeah.
0: So where's next for, we're at the start of 2021 at the moment. 2020 was an unusual year for for all of us. Uh, What have you learned from last year and what's your plans for Toki Toki Instruments for this year?
1: Well, uh, yeah, my plan is actually to um, try and uh, bring a story back into my business and find what, what really, like, like I said, I started off uh, um, being motivated by what gets me up in the morning. And so I need to I need to think and do like a brainstorm about, okay, what gets me up in the morning now? You know, is it, um, well, I think what it is at the moment is uh, I enjoy making instruments that have a story and I've started collecting materials that have a story. So, uh, uh, timber from our from the local um, local trees or local sources and if I can make instruments out of them I would like to hold like a, a, an exhibition to show people around here hey these are some things that I've made with trees or with uh, salvage materials or something like that so that's just something for me really that's like um, I, I want to tell stories more you know and if I'm building uh, my regular Cajon drums as well, then again, that's my business sort of funding my my interests. So it's kind of like I've created a little education center for myself, you know. And if people are still happy to buy what I what I create, then I can use uh, the profits to to um, research, buy books, and do courses and, and things like that, so that I can keep learning uh, what I'm interested in, and then that will change what I make and I can deliver that to the customers, you know what I mean?
0: It's a good symbiosis because you you can build businesses off your own interests, and then you can further your own interests uh, as, a, as art, like uh, finding timber sources locally and going through a provenance story there with one-off pieces that maybe be more art than they are product. Mm. But if people like that, maybe that art then becomes a product mm. and then it grows and you've got some new skills and move yep. on to the next art piece or project that may or not may not become um, a product. Is that, have I summed that up correctly?
1: Yeah, I mean I'm still trying to work it out but I think it's something like that, yeah. Uh, I think if I, if I delve a little bit into the art world I might gather some inspiration and some new ideas and that can then uh, that can then transform through toki toki instruments and and then it, it can change my products maybe hopefully for the good you know.
0: well, I look forward to seeing what those stories are with us being based in Hawkes Bay here and you, know, you with your history of what, third generation around the, the Tukituki River, I'm sure there's some pretty interesting um, timber you can you can find around that area to, to bring to life through your musical instruments.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's see.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Phil, for being on a Kiwi Original. Uh, I've really appreciated your honesty and generosity today and sharing the Tukituki story, and uh, look forward to sharing it with the New Zealand-made bands. Thanks very much, Ryan. You're welcome. That's it for another episode of A Kiwi Original. Remember to subscribe on the podcast or on YouTube to receive the next episode. If you got value from this episode, please share it with someone you think could benefit. See you next time. The big things we had right from the start
1: was we're going to push that it's New Zealand made. New Zealand made carries a lot of weight outside New Zealand, people don't realise that.
0: Well, you're by New Zealand and uh, we were really motivated by your professionalism at the outset when we first contacted you and that gave us the confidence to reach out to the rest of the New Zealand community to support this. We'll get two, three, four, five inquiries every day for people and the, the, the only question is, are your products product made in New Zealand? You know, they, don't, they don't want to know anything else. We knew there was demand in the market for uh, a New Zealand made product, firstly, a natural New Zealand made product.
1: We have got New Zealand made. That was the first thing I signed up to. I was really proud of it and um, you're very welcoming. So thank you, Ryan. I think it's very, very important to sell in New Zealand as a New Zealand-made product. Originally, we were having to import components from overseas. It wasn't until we shifted to our carbon fiber model that we were able to say that the product was made in New Zealand. And that was a huge, it was sort of a big goal for me. I wanted to have complete control over the manufacturing of it. Definitely, it's something that we've been belonged to right from the beginning and it's just put trucks, especially New Zealanders, into our products.
0: We've noticed recently, people have become so much more discerning about they will upfront and say to you, is it really made
1: here? And not have to rely on
0: other countries and important components, especially in times like these, I'd, I'd,
1: be, I'd have no stock.
0: Being able to front up to that and show your logo and say, well, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand that you have to have a license to show that
1: logo. We have also New Zealand made on some of the other brands selling overseas. And it's something that people are looking for. The little triangle has been a part of our brand for a long
0: time. Is that an investment or is it a cost? can Can we spend it, given what's going on? No, it's actually good value for us. Yeah, we, we are a Kiwi company, we are proudly Kiwis. Had an instantly had a, a fruitful conversation without any dancing around or holding back or everything came out. And that was that was part of the, why it was so valuable. And so the best way to do that is to, to join the Buy New Zealand Made campaign, right, so. I, as you will see on any of my social media, someone, you know, I put the Buy New Zealand Made logo. Well, I'm on everything like, I can pass it on. But just being able to prove to people that it is New Zealand made and that we've got a story, it's great. You know, pretty proud to be able to do that.